0: So we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in. We started out in week one. Uh, Melody spoke about how when God shows up, many times people don't realize because he doesn't come in the way that we expected. And, uh, you know, he shows up in different ways. And she challenged us with the thing that we need to make sure that we are intentional To seek Him and to look for Him, not in just big event type things, but in low opportunities and humble opportunities to begin to serve. And we talked about how when Jesus first came, He came in an unexpected way. And then when He comes again, that it's not going to be announced and broadcasted and everything, that He's going to come in an unexpected way uh, and, and time, and that we need to be looking for Him and be ready and be alert. And then the next week, I talked about... How, when God comes, that many times He comes through us, and we looked at the life of Mary, and how Mary uh, had to agree with the the will of God for her life. That this angel appeared and said, "I I, I want to perform this miracle in you," but yet she had to kind of concede and to be in that vessel to uh, carry the Savior and allow the miracle to be performed. And we talked about how God doesn't ask us to perform the miracles. However, He does ask us to be available. And when we are, that His Spirit will work through us. The the same way that Mary at birth, uh, uh, she asked, how can this happen? And He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and He will make what was impossible possible. It's the same thing in the last days that God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh My spirit will come upon you and he will make the miraculous things possible with us. And then last week we talked about how Jesus came through an imperfect family line. That it wasn't through, uh, you know, a bunch of ministers and, and pastors and and people who didn't have any faults or failures or anything. But when you look at his family line, there was some dysfunction, there were some major sins. I mean, there was murderers, idolaters, uh, adulterers, uh, prostitutes, like all these things in his line. And last week we talked about the fact that even though there may be histories of that in our family or even in our personal lives, that that doesn't eliminate us from God being revealed to the world through us. And this week I want to talk to you about when we accept and step into that call. You know, over the past year, we have this whole year we have really been talking about what it means to be an Acts 2 church. What what it means to be the church that you read about in the book of Acts and and in scripture and there were three primary things that we pulled out of it that we have talked about over and over and we will continue to talk about because I feel like this is what makes a true disciple or a man and woman of God. We talked about the fact that they are together in small groups, that that, that people met together in homes and, and studied the word of God together. They were devoted to the teachings of the apostle together and all of those. And So discipleship taking place in small groups. We talked about prayer points and that they prayed for people, whether they had meetings in their home, they had meetings in the, in the, the temple, but they also just uh, among the streets when they saw someone that was sick, they didn't pass by them. They stopped and they prayed for them. And we encourage you guys throughout the year to take steps of faith and begin to pray for people where you are and increase that prayer life. And then we talked about the outreach aspect of it as well. And I know many of you are involved in food truck outreaches and, and other outreaches and things that go on or just little things that you are doing to be aware of the people that are around you so that you have an opportunity to minister. But as we begin to do those things, and we begin to accept the call of God that is on our life to be a disciple and, and to be, uh, be the church, not just someone who attends church, but really be an active part of the church. I know there's a lot of gospel messages and a lot of people in, in in the uh in ministry today who would tell you when you just accept the call of God on your life and when you're saved, then then there's just blessing and, and prosperity and anything you need, God would just give it to you in that moment, and you just say it, and it's gonna happen, and you know, just all of these things. But I can tell you this when you look at scripture and when you look at the Christmas story. Accepting the call of God doesn't mean that your life becomes easier. It does mean that you're going to have God with you. You're going to have different aspects and things that you didn't have before. But it doesn't mean that everything is just going to be, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs and sunshine and blessing and, you know, just always walking around in the presence of God where you just feel Him like the, oh, kind of Shekinah glory just upon you. You look at the life of Mary, when Jesus came into Mary's life, Mary's life didn't get easier. Any mom knows that having a child does not make your life easier. There are challenges that you have to make, and then the way you think about with Mary, because. She wasn't even married yet. The people in the community, they looked at her and questioned her integrity. And so socially there were issues that took place. People gossiped about her. People questioned whether she had had cheated on Joseph or or not. You know, just all of these things. Whether her and Joseph had had, had done something wrong. And and her integrity and, and, and character and everything was assassinated. And they had to face all that gossip. But then not only that... But you look at her life when it's almost time for her to give birth. There's a census that is called, and she has to ride for, to, from her home to Bethlehem on a donkey, nine months pregnant. Now, for some of you men, I'd be like, "And I mean, we don't. All you women, you understand if you ever had a baby. That is an uncomfortable time." And riding a donkey is the last thing that you want to do. And then when you are getting ready to give birth, you don't want to lay down beside the donkey that you rode (laughs) by your donkey's bathroom, where where your donkey went to the bathroom to be able to give birth to your child. There is no epidurals, no birthing room, no birthing coaches, no nothing to make this process easier. And then to make it even worse, once the baby was born, then the king, King Herod, becomes jealous of him. You remember the, the wise men went to King Herod and said, we see this star, we've been following this star, and it means that there was a king that was born, and King Herod was like, will you tell me where that king was born, because um, I wanna go worship him too. So as soon as you find him, you let me know, because I'm going to come worship him too. Knowing that he wasn't one to worship him, he was one to kill him. So when, he, when the, the wise men went back the other way, then Herod issues a death decree on, on Mary's life. Now, I, you know, after in-between services, I went over and I was talking to Melody. And Melody was like, you don't understand. Like, you got to think of this. You've you got to think of a mother's fears. You know, mothers have all these irrational fears of their kids already. They're already afraid of all these things that might happen. And, and they worry about all this stuff. But you got to think of this. This would be like the President of the United States... Hiring and bringing out all the military to find your baby to kill your baby. Now that amplifies this story and the fear that Mary is having to go through just a little bit more. I think sometimes we read these Bible stories like they're cute little fairy tales and don't realize that there is some emotion, there is some fear, there's some things that they're battling through. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, you see where Herod issued the death uh, uh, sentence. He said, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him by going the other way. So he sent his soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years or under based upon the wise man's report of when the star first appeared. So this guy is crazy. He's not just trying to find baby Jesus or little toddler Jesus. Anybody two and under. Can you imagine the fear and things that is in this community? But yet with all of that, I want you to notice something. If you back up to verse 13, remember this is verse 16 when he issues the death sentence. Verse 13, it says, When the, the wise man had departed from them, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, "Rise up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you to, because Herod is in search for the, children, uh, the child to destroy him." And he rose up and took the child and his mother by night, and he departed to Egypt and it remained there until the death of Herod. And this was fulfilled. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, "Out of Egypt I have called my son." Before Mary, even, before Herod was even able to issue the death sentence, God had already issued the way of escape. So when we start talking about what we're going to talk about today, we have to understand that when you look at the life of Mary, Mary had to put her life and Joseph's life and Jesus' life all in the hands of God and trust Him. It wasn't just, I'm going to have a baby and this is going to be easy. It's, I'm having a baby, the king is hiring, uh, has his military out to find him and kill him. We've got to protect him and everything. But the whole time, no matter what the persecution was, God was always one step ahead of the enemy. And it would be the same way in our life. When we talk about stepping into persecution and enduring the things and trials that we will face in our life, we can realize that God will always go before us. And if we are in tune with heaven, God will always warn us. God will always prepare us. God always has a way of escape before we've even entered into the trial that we didn't even know about. Many times when Jesus comes into your life, it doesn't bring just this huge amount of wonderful blessing. Sometimes it brings persecution. You think about Jesus' disciples, you think about Paul, you think about all these people, they they faced persecution in their life. And Paul was trying to teach the church in Philippi about this persecution. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he told them, he said, Listen, you need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That though he was with God, he didn't see equality with God as something to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave or of a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus who was the son of God. Jesus who had all divine powers. Jesus who who could have easily called down angels to rescue him. Who could have not uh, uh, went through the trials and the persecution and everything that he did. He willingly endured it. He willingly did that. Why? So that he would show us as an example of what it truly means to lay down our life as a believer. When Jesus came the first time, he called Mary and them to disrupt their life and allow him to be the center of it and it would change their future from then on. And it's the same thing. He modeled that for us that when we uh, receive Christ and when Christ comes into our life, it's not just a life of blessing, but it's a life that realizes there may be some persecution in it. And Paul is not talking at a ministry school. He's not talking at a pastor's conference or anything like that when he's saying you need to have this mind that is willing to serve and to give even to the point of death. He is writing the letter to the church. He's writing the letter to everyone saying, as believers... Your mindset shouldn't be, what can I gain out of this relationship with Jesus? Your mindset should be, I am willing to lay down my life if it means, I am willing to give it all if that's what he asks for me. You see, I think sometimes there's a disconnect in the American church because in Iran, every believer knows that just by meaning that they're a Christian means that they could be executed, they could be raped, they could be murdered, they could be maimed in anything just for being a believer. But in America, the only people that we think are going to face persecution and stuff is if you're in the pulpit, if you're in full-time ministry, if you're a missionary, if you're that type of thing, then yes, you may have to have that type of mindset but I just go to church. You see, we think like there's a standard for me because I stand on this platform, but because you guys sit in this seat, that the standard is lower and what God requires of me is lower just because my seat's a little bit lower than where I stand every single week. But Paul wrote the letter to the entire church. He says, you all need to have the mentality of a servant, and a servant who is willing to give up their life for the kingdom of God. The Bible assures us, Jesus said, in the last days, go read Matthew 24. He said in the last day, in, in, Matthew, er, in John 16, he said, and you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome them. In the last days, he talks about the wars and the rumors of wars and the races rising up against race and all of those things. And in that, he says, they will drag you to prison. There will be persecution. There will be all of these things. But this is just the beginning of the end of times. Jesus prepared us that in our life, there will be persecution. Persecution. But for many of us, we believe persecution is somebody unfriends us on Facebook. Somebody puts a bad quote or bad post about us or 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 if somebody tells us not to talk about Jesus, or somebody tells us that they're that they're offended by something that we did or say. But here he says, listen, you need to be at the point where you're willing to go through persecution to lay down your life. Many of us we think we're being persecuted, and and we're not willing to even speak of our faith and stuff because we don't we we think that if we if we step out in that we're not being politically correct, and we might have somebody who gets upset with us, or or we might even lose our job, or we might even uh, have something like that happen to us and you look at Jesus' disciples and every single one of his disciples were, were killed for their faith the only one who wasn't was John and it wasn't because they didn't try to kill him they literally boiled him alive in oil and he didn't die So they figured the only way we're going to get this guy to shut up is let's put him on an island by himself. And they put him to the island of Patmos to get him away from other people so that he couldn't influence the church. And you know what he did? He wrote the book of Revelation. Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, he wrote that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He wrote letters to all seven churches that he was an ordained minister, leader over, and, and everything. And he continued to minister from exile on an island. Nothing they could do would shut John up. Is the same thing with Paul. Nothing that they would do to Paul would stop him from being light. Nothing they would do from Paul would stop him from sharing the truth of the gospel. Listen to some of the things that they did to Paul to try to get him to stop. 2 Corinthians 11, he lists some of these things. He said, As a servant of, are, you, are they servants of Christ? I know that I sound like a madman, but I served him far more. I worked harder, and I, put in, I, I was put in prison more often. I was whipped times without number. I faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now before we go on anymore, the majority of us would have quit at they're going to put me in jail. I' better shut up. I'm going to lose my job. I better not pray with this kid. I better not say the truth. Now I'm not saying about going around and beating people upside the head with the gospel. Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that, but Paul lived his life, and says he was he was put in prison constantly. And by the way, probably about half of the books that you read that are accredited to Paul in your Bible, he wrote from prison. Whole group of. The epistles called the prison epistles because he wrote them while he was in prison. He was whipped. The the beating that Jesus took, the 39 lashes that Jesus took, and it talks about how he was irrecognizable because of how bad he was beaten. Paul took that five times. And then it goes on that's not even the end of the list. I was beaten with rods three times, I was stoned once. Now, he's not talking about recreationally stoned. He's not, he's not confessing sin. I got high this one time. Like he's, not, he's talking about throwing stones at him to the point of death. Three times I was shipwrecked. One time I spent a whole night and day adrift in the sea. I traveled many long journeys. I faced danger in the rivers and from robbers. I faced dangers from my own people the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I face dangers in the city, in the desert, on the seas. I face dangers for men who claim to be believers, but we're not. Now, how many people like, well, you know, I, I feel like I need to do this. And especially when it comes to missions and stuff, people don't want to go on a mission field because they're afraid that it's dangerous. Well, how many places is he saying? I, he's basically saying, I was dangerous everywhere I went. Like we do work in Honduras and Honduras is known as the murder capital of the world. But you know what? I've been there five or six times and I plan on going back. Why? Because it's a dark place that needs Jesus. And I know that God has me. I know that God protects me. That's why Paul, you would think he would have quit after the first imprisonment or the first beating. You know he had to have people who loved him and told him, Paul, you've got to stop. You're getting hurt. Even the fact that he went before the Romans to appear before the government. His friends told him, don't do it, Paul. And he said, I know what's in store for me. I know when I go, I'm going to die. But I still have to go because there are people there who need to hear about Jesus. This He worked long and hard, he endured sleepless nights. He was hungry, he was thirsty. Wait a minute, he was hungry and thirsty. Yeah. There were nights when he shivered in cold, because he didn't have a coat. He didn't have clothing enough to keep him warm. But the Bible says, God was Paul money. guess who wrote that? Paul did. He didn't say that he starved to death and all that. He said this was part of it. There were times when I was hungry and I didn't have anything. There were times when I was cold and I didn't have what I needed. But yet Paul didn't quit. Why didn't Paul quit? Why didn't he walk away? I think one is because the encounter that he had with Jesus, the way that he encountered Jesus. It was a, literally, we call it a Damascus Road encounter when somebody is heading in one direction and all of a sudden they're complete opposite the other direction. But two, one of the times, that, that time when he says that he was stoned to death, there's a story that Paul writes about and he doesn't identify this as himself, but I personally believe this is Paul. He says there is a, man who, whether he was in the body or he was out of the body, he was taken up into the third heaven and he begins to describe what he saw in heaven. I believe one of the biggest reasons why we aren't more active as believers and don't take this thing more serious, especially if you've been in I heart any period of time. Because we're constantly preaching about you've got to be light, you've got to be in your community. We got T-shirts on it. City on a hill cannot be hidden. Like we're constantly trying to get you to go serve, tell people about Jesus. Don't attend church. Be the church. You know, constant. We talk about this stuff all the time. We create opportunities all the time for people to begin to serve and everything because we realize this. But I think Paul had an understanding of what heaven was and and he had such an understanding of what heaven was that there was nothing that was going to stop him from trying to reach everybody he possibly could to bring them into heaven. I think one of the reasons why we're not more active and we can come and we can sit and be comfortable in a church seat and all of those things without feeling empowered or whatever to go and start being who God's called us to be is that we don't understand how great heaven is, but on the other hand, we don't understand how horrible hell is. Because we don't want to talk about hell. Hell's a curse word. Pastor Brandon said hell four times in church. He's probably going to go to hell now because he said hell in church. That's like cursing, isn't it? Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about hell. Why? Because he wanted to warn people of hell. It's not a big party. It's a place of eternal torment. But on the other hand, there's only two options. There's heaven and there's hell. And if we can grasp that and even begin to understand that, then that should cause us to want to move. But sometimes the reason why we can't move is because we're so entangled with the things of this earth and so entangled with fear and worry and anxiety and all of those things. And that's why Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter 4 and told them this. He said, don't worry about anything. Say that with me. What's that mean? There are no things. Turn to your neighbor and say, no things. Turn to the neighbor you chose to ignore and say, that means all the things. There are no things that you are supposed to worry about. But instead, pray about everything. That means all of the things we're supposed to pray about, none of the things we're supposed to worry about. Tell God what you need and then thank Him for what He has already done. Then, you will experience God's peace. This peace will exceed anything that we're able to understand. His peace will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When do you find peace? When you stop worrying about anything, you start praying about everything, and you begin to worship and thank God for all the things you currently have. Paul is giving you the pattern for peace. Paul is giving you the pattern, not only for peace, but to, to overcome things. So, so this, this is your, your action plan for this week. Stop worrying. Number two, start praying. Number three, start being thankful and worshiping God for what you already have. And he says by doing that, it's going to bring peace into your life. But then he says one more thing. Finally, brothers, this is what I want you to do. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think upon these things. Now some of us, we need to get off social media and we need to get off the news and all this stuff and reading all these articles because all that does is show us the things that aren't right. Show us the things that frustrate us. Show us the things that initiate fear and confusion and anxiety and all of those things. Notice he doesn't say on here, think about the politics that you don't agree with. Think about the people that you don't agree with their doctrines. Think about the people that, that, that have done you wrong. He doesn't say any of those things. That, see, all of those things are taken care of in verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. If politics frustrates you, pray about it. And then worship God for the freedom you have to be able to sit in this building right now and not have to hide underground. If somebody's heresy or what you perceive to be heresy bothers you, pray about it. And thank God for the people who hold to the truth of the word of God and don't water things down. Don't worry about things. Pray about things. Worship and be thankful for the things you have. And then think about the right things. And then he tells him in verse 9, he said, the things that you've learned and you've received and you have heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice them. But I'm just naturally a worrier. Okay, practice not worrying. Practice instead of worrying about something. When you catch yourself worrying, start praying. And then start worshiping. And then change what you're thinking about. Paul is just saying, I'm giving you the path to have peace in your life. I'm giving you the path to have joy in your life. And it's going to come when you stop worrying, you start praying, you start worshiping, you change the way you think, and then you put this into practice. You make this a part of everyday life, and the God of peace will be with you. And then he goes on in verse 11, and he talks about even the conditions that he had again. In his life, he said, I'm not speaking to you, uh, uh, not that I'm speaking to you of being in need, for I have learned uh, in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What what was it? Say it with me. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Be thankful for what you have. Change the way you think. When you practice those things, then you get this verse that everybody loves. I can do all things through him who gives me strength see if we feel weighed down and anxious and anxiety and all these things and we feel like we're worn out then it's because we've been carrying things that weren't ours to carry we got to stop worrying about those things we lay them at the feet of Jesus in prayer we think about what things are good and just and th- be thankful for things. We change the way we think. We walk into the fullness. Why? When we do all those things, it brings peace. When you have peace, you have joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul is writing out, no matter what persecution you face, this is how you overcome it. No matter what trial you're facing right now, this is how you overcome it. Jesus told his disciples when he called them to the Great Commission, when he he told them in Matthew 28, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Seems like a pretty big task for people who don't have planes, don't have social media, don't have the Internet, don't have TV stations, broadcast stations, anything like that. This means they're going to have to go. They don't have pilot's license and airplanes and all this stuff. How are you going to go to all the nations of the world? Seems like a pretty impossible task. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe the things that I have commanded you. And then he gives them this promise. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So we have this assurance that even if we're facing persecution right now, which probably the majority of the people that are in this room, we're not. We didn't have to hide to come in here to worship. They got a camera back there trying their hardest to make me look good to get this on TV in different places because we still have the freedom to be able to broadcast this over the internet, over TV, over radio. This broadcast today will be on people's iPhones, iPads. It'll show up in our prison system. It'll show up in all these different locations and stuff because we all still have that freedom. Guys, we're not being persecuted right now. We're not. But when we face it, Paul gave us a pattern how to face it with strength. Don't worry. Pray. Thank God. Change the way you're thinking. And then realize that God would be with us everywhere that we go. The same way that before there was even a death sentence decreed, God had already led Joseph and given him the way of escape to be able to protect him, God will provide for you. The same way that Paul, even though he said there were times when I were hungry and there were times when I was cold, I didn't have a whole lot. But I learned that in those moments I could be content. See, that's one of the biggest things that's killing a lot of Americans is greed. There's more people today, there's a lot of people today that they're looking at their list of what they didn't get for Christmas and trying to scrounge together money so that they can buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more. Because they got to get it all. And Paul said, I learned how to be content with nothing. And it was when I stopped worrying about all of those things, I just started praying. I just started being thankful for what I already had. And I changed my focus to the blessings and things that I already see in my life. And he was able to walk in strength. I'm telling you, it's the same way for us today. In this world, you will face persecution. But that shouldn't cause fear because God didn't give you a spirit of fear. But he did give you a formula to defeat fear. Don't worry. Pray. Worship. And then change your thoughts when you do those things, you'll walk in the strength of God, the grace of God and you'll see God work miraculous things through you, amen I want you to bow your heads for just a second I want you to just take a second and ask God God, will you speaking to me Some of you, it's three weeks in a row now God's trying to get you to take a step of faith. Stop making excuses. The enemy comes in and he bombards your mind to try to hold you back. And God's giving you the formula to overcome the enemy when he attacks. Some of you, God's calling you to quit being a spectator and start being a participator. There's things He's instructed you in. Listen, like I said, and Melody said the first week, it doesn't have to be the big pompous things and big, huge event things. It can be those small, everyday, small acts of kindness or love or mercy forgiveness that you give to people. Father God, I just pray for every individual that's in this room. Lord, I pray that your spirit just speaks to us. God, you make us and you mold us into the church. It isn't weighed down by anxiety and fear. God, we're getting ready to worship, but before we worship, He said to stop worrying. So God, right now, we just turn off all those thoughts. Bind that anxiety and fear. We're not going to allow it to cripple us, God, anymore. God, but instead we're going to bring those things to you in prayer. So right now, where you are, I want you to begin to pray for the things that weigh heavy on your heart. Begin to pray for your children. Begin to pray for your lost loved ones, your spouse. Begin to pray for uh, the the medical report, the the appointments that you have coming up, the financial needs. Come on, let's just take a second. Just bring all these just bring all these weights to Him, God. We just bring it all to you, God. Every care, every weight, every anxiety, every fear, God. Every insecurity, God. Lord, we bring it to you, God. Every financial need, every health need, God. Lord, you said that there's not one day that's going to be added to our life by worrying, God. And So, Lord, we choose not to worry about tomorrow, God. Because, God, we trust you. That, Lord, if you feed the birds and you clothe the lilies, God, then we're far more valuable than lilies and birds, God. Lord, I just pray that we realize our value to you. And you loved us so much that you sent your son. That your son chose to go to a cross. Your, chose, your son chose to be mocked and humiliated and beaten. For us, God. So Lord, I pray that we trust in your love. And God, we just thank you for that love. Come on, just begin to thank him for things that he's given you in your life. Begin to thank him for the friends you do have. Begin to thank him for the family you do have. Begin to thank him for the vehicle. Begin to thank him for the clothes. Begin to thank him for the food. Begin to thank him for your church. Begin to thank him for your freedom. It's easy to look at all the negative things. Come on, let's just begin to thank him for the things that we're grateful for in our life, God. God, I thank you for my family. I thank you, God, for this church, God. Lord, I thank you for vehicles. I thank you for my home, God. I thank you for friends, God. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to be able to do this, to be able to worship you, to be able to praise you, to be able to speak openly about you, God. Lord, we just thank you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.